Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is supported by Discover Amarillo, a free mobile app for Amarillo residents who want to keep up with local activities, shopping, businesses, and more. The latest feature of this resource is a community calendar with all the city's events in one place. Access this calendar in the upcoming events section of the Discover Amarillo app, which is available for Android and iPhone. Learn more at discoveramarillotx.com. Today's guest is Mary Brawley. She's the president of Los Barrios de Amarillo an organization that works to promote higher education and assist students all across the Texas Panhandle. She's also got a long history in marketing, public relations, and business development. And Mary's career story itself is really interesting. We talk about a lot of things in this episode, how hard she worked in her early 20s when she was a single mom living in poverty, how she ended up serving for several years as an AISD school board member almost a decade ago, and how she began embracing her own Hispanic heritage later in life as an adult. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in this interview, and I think you'll really enjoy it. And you might be inspired by her story. Here's Mary Brawley. Mary Brawley, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm honored to have you. I know that we've known each other for a while, and I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show. And I want to start with you like I start with all of my guests, and that's just to ask how you ended up in this area in the first place. So what brought you to Amarillo? Well, I've always been in the panhandle, and so I was mostly raised in Dimmit. Went to school there from kindergarten to 10th grade. Okay. My parents up and moved, which was very hard. 10th grade <laughs> is a tough time it to move. It is a tough time. So I moved to a very small town called Southland. It was It's between Slayton and Post. Tiny little town, 1A school, six-man football team. Anyways, my dad got really sick while we were there and um, wasn't able to work. And so after a few months, his employer said, you know, this just isn't working out. So we moved again, and we moved to Muleshoe. So I went from you know, mid-size to tiny to mid-size. And I never thought of Dimmit Muleshoe as mid-size until I was in until Southland. In Southland. <laughs> but anyways, I graduated high school and I was going to go to college. That was my dad's plan, My uh, both my parents actually, but my dad's plan. And I came back to uh, back home because I found out I was going to have a baby. Okay, And so I was super in love with the baby's dad and I was just going to be a happily married you know, 18-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> and that didn't work out. So we had moved to Amarillo, and I just stayed. He moved back to Muleshoe, but I stayed in Amarillo. Okay. I'm always interested for people that have grown up in the smaller towns in this area, whether it's Muleshoe, uh, which is a little bit closer to Lubbock, or like Dimmit. What, what was your perspective on Amarillo? Like, was it a place that your family came on the weekends? Like, did you come here for shopping or anything? Or what? No, we did not. So whenever I was in Dimmit, if we went out of town, it was to Clovis, believe okay. it or not. And that's Clovis because, was the nearest. Well, it wasn't the nearest, okay. actually, but it was because my uncle lived in Portales. And so Clovis was kind of close to Portales. And so we would go there or to Lubbock. Um, and, and Amarillo is closer, but I, I guess my parents just like going to Lubbock. So I couldn't wait to go to Lubbock because that meant we were going to Kmart, which meant <laughs> we got to eat in the Kmart little cafe, yeah, you know, that they had. And, special, right? Yes, yes. And so loved going to Kmart. And for me, those were just such happy times. You know, we didn't vacation, really. We didn't have a lot of money at all. And so our vacations were, if we went, they were to visit family. But so I really enjoyed those jaunts to to Clovis. I, I remember going and, and I knew that if we were going to Clovis, I could eat at KFC. Well, Kentucky Fried Chicken yeah. then, you know. So those are the little things that I remember about my childhood and, and kind of getting out of town. Then I moved to Southland, and that's very close to Lubbock. So again, always in Lubbock. When we moved to Muleshoe, Muleshoe is right there by the New Mexico border. So mm-hmm. again, you know, all of us as high school kids, we always went to Clovis to drag Prince Street okay. and um, look at the Cannon Air Force boys. <laughs> well, all right. Did did you have, like, before you ended up in Amarillo, um, did you have much experience here? Like, had you come through here at all? Was it 
On your radar much? No, it was never on my radar. I probably came here maybe two times that I can even think of. One of them might have been for school. But no, we just didn't come to Amarillo. Some of my relatives that live in Dimmit, they would come to Amarillo. Mm -hmm. And I would think, wow, you're going to Amarillo. How cool is Amarillo? But no, it just wasn't. And so whenever I decided to move here, it was a big experience for me. I mean, very big culture change. Mm -hmm. Because when you're from a small town, if somebody has a wreck on the side of the road, you stop. You stop and you wait with them, trying to do whatever you can to help them. You um, wait with them till the volunteer fire department gets yeah. there and the volunteers, you know, EMS get there and, and the police get there. And so whenever I moved to Amarillo, that's the one thing right off the bat that I noticed that nobody helped to each other. Okay. And also I noticed that nobody stops for funeral processions. You know, when you're in a smaller town, you pull over to the side and whenever I was here and I do see it some, but, um, not as often as I did yeah, there I, 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 for I was, sure. I've noticed that too. And, and a lot of times it maybe has to do with whether or not they have police escorts. Right. Um, if you see the police escort, then you know, okay, that's definitely what this is. I've right. been in situations before I've seen like cars with, the lights on and I've been like, is this a funeral procession? Do I pull over? I don't know. Maybe it's, yeah. you know, yeah. so there may be some uncertainty about that. That's right. That's right. I it's think so It's not quite as automatic as it used it's, to be. It's not. It's not as automatic. So those were the two things that I really noticed. And also I noticed, and I don't know why I didn't think about it whenever I was in Lubbock, but maybe because I wasn't driving myself, but I noticed that there's people all the time out in the streets and in Muleshoe and Dimmit, you know, there's very little traffic during the day because everybody's at work. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of roll up the sidewalks about, you know, eight o'clock. And so when I got here, I was like, where are all these people and how do they not have jobs? And and Walmart, wow, Walmart, Walmart was at 45th and Bell and I just loved That's Walmart. Right. I remember <laughs> that. Okay. So, so you move here and, and you're 18 with a child. Yes. Um, what were those first years like? Very, very difficult. I ended up being a single parent, and it was very hard. I worked at Albertsons on Bell under the direction of Dan Greener and great store director. We had an amazing store, but I didn't have an education. I didn't go to college. And so I worked in what was called the video booth, the video department. Okay. And we would rent out VHS videos and the VHS players. Yeah. You know, they came in these black heavy suitcases. And we also sold, you know, candy and cigarettes and things to that nature. But that that was my that was my job is to be there and my family probably rented VHS tapes from you because we <laughs> did not live did. far from that Albertsons <laughs> yeah. that's where my mom got her groceries and I, I know we were renting videos well back then. a lot happened during those years at Albertsons so I worked there I worked in that department and I begged to be in the courtesy booth which was the booth where they took the cash did the money orders and had the safe and and I'll I, I'll never forget Mr. Greener said you want to work in the courtesy booth do you know tin key and I said tin key no. And he said, well, you can't work in the courtesy booth. And I was like, okay. So then they go through the next book, bookkeeper. And I asked again, can I be in the bookkeeping department? Do you know Tenki? And I was like, no, but I'll learn. And he said, then ask me next time. So they hired somebody else. That person leaves. And I borrowed a Tenki machine. I learned it. It was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Learned it, went up to him, said, can I work in the bookkeeping department? And he said, do you know Tenki? I was like, yes, I do. And he said, okay, add up these numbers. And he gave me this long list of numbers. I don't even know where he got it from. But I was doing it so fast, and I was trying to do it really fast to impress him that I don't even think that I added the numbers up correctly. But I acted very confident, and I ripped off the paper, and I was like, here you go. <laughs> and he hired me as a bookkeeper. And that was an experience because I this was before computers. So I'm looking at these spreadsheets and everything has to balance across, balance down, every department, coupons. I mean, everything. It was so much for me. I was very overwhelmed, mm -hmm. but by golly, I was going to stay in that 
position. And so I worked in the bookkeeping and the courtesy in the lobby is what it was called for the movies. I worked in both because I was a single parent. Yeah. And so I had to work a lot of hours. So my hours were 7 a.m. to midnight, wow. <laughs> five days a week. Yeah. How long and, did that last? Like oh how gosh. long were you able to do that? Uh, probably. Does it sound particularly sustainable? You know, Well, it was very hard because of babysitting. You mm-hmm. know, I had to pay two babysitters. I had my daytime babysitter, my evening babysitter, and probably at least three years. And I just knew I wasn't making it. I was, um, this is probably a little bit too much, but you know, I was poor. And so I was fainting at work. And the store director had my boss from the bookkeeping department come to my apartment. And I just had an apartment. That was it. And she came and I looked in the peak hole, saw her and I was like, Oh, my gosh, what is she doing here? So I opened the door, barely, you know, with the little chain still on there. And she goes, Mary, let me in. Well, I was so embarrassed because I didn't have a thing. And so I let her in. I said, what are you doing here? She goes, well, Mr. Reiner wants me to find out why you keep fainting. And I was like, I just don't feel good. That's all. That's all. I just don't feel good. You know, get out, get out. And she looks around and she says, you don't have a couch or a bed? And I said, no. And then she opens my refrigerator and she said, you don't have groceries? And I said, no. She goes, that's why you're fainting. And she said, Mary, you work in a grocery store. I said, well, that doesn't mean I can afford to buy groceries. And so whenever I say Albertson's taught me a lot, one of the things was to swallow my pride. Because she went back, told him what happened. Next thing I know, I'm working, you know, until midnight and the night stalkers are there. Night stalkers (laughs) are there. And they bring me all these canned goods and, you know, all kinds of things. And I asked them because sometimes they'd want me to price it. This is whenever you're pricing it with a price gun. And they said, I said, do you want me to price these or something? And they said, no, apparently we're supposed to give you all the damaged goods. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do with those? And they said, I don't know, you're hungry or something. This is supposed to feed you. I was mortified, Hmm. mortified, but After a few weeks, I started saying, hey, can you slice some Captain Crunch? (laughs) You know, can you box cut some Captain Crunch? And, you know, it just, you have to do what you have to do to survive. (laughs) So how long did you end up working for Albertson's? I think I was there for three years. Okay. Yeah. And And, and it was good. You know, Mr. Greener was an amazing store director, kept a great store, taught me a very good work ethic because... You know, there well, was clearly no, you were working. Yeah. <laughs> there was no excuses 15, with him. 18 hours a day? Well, yeah. I was crazy. young. I could yeah. do it. I think about that now, and I would die now. But, you know, when you're young, you just do what you... And you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just do what you have to do. So what happened after that? After that, I left and uh, went to work for a long-distance telephone company called Tri-State Communications. It was uh, another great experience because I didn't know anything about communications. And um, it's not what we think of today. They, uh, or maybe it is for people in that industry, but you know, you have dialers and Mm -hmm. all kinds of things that I learned about troubleshooting different businesses, started meeting through telephone people out in the region and different companies that used our services. So that was my very first eight to five job. And I felt like somebody because it was more I I can't say more meaningful because being a bookkeeper, I thought, you know, that was kind of a kudos to me, not knowing anything about bookkeeping, but it was just another experience where I learned something new. And so I stayed there for a few years before I I got into the healthcare industry. And that's where a majority of my career was. Okay. And and so I know you've had a variety of careers of, of different jobs over the past few years, but I, one thing that really is interesting to me is, is that you, you had that work ethic you lived in poverty, you were raising a a child, and that never held you back. And I wonder, you know, a lot of people are going through that, a lot of people are, you know, enduring it now and and don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, what do you think got you through that period to where you did get a regular job, you had a better quality of life, all those things? How did you end up there? Well, it was my daughter. I mean, I had to do it. I had to keep on. I'll never forget one night, I was just tired. I was just hungry. I was, you know, I had lost 
I can't remember my day or night babysitter. And it was just really hard because, I mean, I'd pick her up at midnight and then I'd have to get right back and, and drop her off by 645. And, and so I called my dad. I didn't have a phone. That was one of the things I had to get for that job in case they needed me, which I was always there. But anyway, <laughs> so I'm talking to my dad on the telephone who still lived in Milshu and and I was kind of, you know, upset. And he was like, well, Suge, he goes, just move back to Milshu. And I was like, move back to Milshu and do what? And he said, Dairy Queen is hiring. And I was like, and then I started crying more. Not that there's anything wrong with Dairy Queen. I love him, love their blizzards, but I just, I didn't want to live in Mulesha and work at Dairy Queen. And so dad, I, I said, dad, I can't. He goes, well, you would live for free. You could save money. And I just, I just thought, no, I hung up and I thought, no, I'm, I, this is whenever I needed to find a different job. I mm -hmm. needed to do something different. And so I did. And that's kind of where I just started, you know, I, I need to always keep on because the days whenever I was at Albertsons or even before Albertsons, I think I had to get help. I had to get help yeah. from the United way, um, for, you know, just help with food because I didn't qualify for food stamps because I worked so many hours and it was kind of depressing going to the food stamp office, first of all, that you have to do that. But I went but then for them to say, well, you make too much money, you don't mm -hmm. qualify. You know, I, I, that's when that's, that's right. That's whenever I just broke down, I was like, well, what do I do about food? Me and my daughter need to eat. And that's when they sent me to the United Way, who sent me to this little house on Hughes Street. I'll never forget it because I, at the time, I didn't ever go to Hughes Street. It was Hughes in the Boulevard, this little shack it seemed like and this this little man looks at me sees the piece of paper that united way gave me goes inside and gets a sack full of groceries and it was like one roll of toilet paper like two hungry man meals you know just like mm -hmm. odd stuff and i remember going back to my car and thinking gosh <laughs> things just have to change and so i think that's also why or i know that's why i like to be involved now because i needed help back then yeah you saw and, the value of that oh yeah and and people can't help it i mean i wasn't in a position where i could do anything i felt like i couldn't go to school i i had this baby yeah. it was just me and my and my daughter you know and, and so that's, I mean, that's one of the realities i think of of poverty is that a lot of people from the outside, they just think, well, why don't they go get a better job? Or why don't they do this or that? And, you know, why don't they work harder? Yes. Well, you're working, you know, 18 hours a day. Yeah. And because you were working so hard, that took you out of a lot of the benefits that you might have gotten had you been yeah. more lazy or had you not had as many hours right. or whatever. And so that prevented you from really fixing some of the things. Oh, you know, the advice that the the uh, food stamp office gave me actually was they said, if you have one more baby, we'll be able to give you all of this. Wow. And I just thought, another baby? I can't have another baby. I don't even have a babysitter for this one, you know? And so, yeah, you, you definitely just have to persevere and keep going and keep doing better. And so the next job I had was with um, High Plains Baptist Hospital, mm -hmm. and I was a secretary. And, you know, again, I thought, wow, High Plains Baptist Hospital, you know, wow, look at me. And so I was really proud of that and, and did make, you know, each time you do something different, you kind of go a little bit higher in salary. And so I started feeling better about myself, but I still didn't go to school. That wasn't what made yeah. me go to school. You know, I still had to work and, and do other things, but um, school came a little bit later for me. Okay, so when you when you did end up going back to school, what did you do? Well, so what happened was, you know, I had gone from secretary to provider relations. I had gotten a promotion that I didn't want, believe it or not. I used to be very, very shy. Nobody believes that, but I was. And so when they moved me up, I was like, you want me to do what? And they said, go out and visit doctors and make mm -hmm. sure that they're happy with the hospital. And I was like, I don't want to talk to doctors, but I had to. And so um, had to get used to doing that. I think that from there, I went to Northwest. They called me one day. Uh, the pavilion called me one day out of the blue and asked me to return their call. And you kind of think to yourself, 
why is the pavilion calling? And do yeah. I really return that call? Do they know something <laughs> yeah. I don't know? So anyways, I went and I did marketing for the pavilion. And my daughter was in middle school by this point. She was at Sam Houston. She was in the magnet program. And she mentioned to me, she said, Mom, I'm not going to go to college. And I said, what? And she said, I'm not going to go to college. And I said, yes, you are. Because my parents didn't talk to me about college. You know, my dad was a farmhand and my mom was a housewife and we were happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always knew we didn't have money, but it wasn't a big thing. Sometimes you're embarrassed about your clothes and things, but, you know, we were happy. And so she said, you never went to college and and you're doing well. And I was like, "Um, no, you're going to college. And so I made the decision, okay, I've got to be a role model for her. She's Hmm. already thinking that you just go out and, you know, do well without getting some type of degree or certification. And She didn't know how hard you'd worked, too. (laughs) She still doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she'll listen to this, right? (laughs) But no, she, um, so I decided to go back to college. I I hate to say this, but it took me years to get my mm-hmm. associate's degree because, you know, I just went as I could and as I could afford it. And um, because at the time the hospital didn't pay for every class. And so it was really expensive. And so I just went whenever I could. So it took okay. me a long time to get my associate's degree. But while I was doing that, I was on the board for Amarillo Education Foundation and I learned a lot. You know, you, you think that you know a lot about school if you have a child in the yeah. school system. I was PTA, you know, president, I was room mother, I was all these things. So I thought that I knew the school system well until I served on that board. Then I found out how the schools aren't equal. You know, I learned about title schools and, and kids and refugees and just, you know, just the difference across our community. And so I was at the symphony or the opera and it was during intermission and three ladies behind me, they were talking about a school on the east side of town and how they had that unacceptable rating and they were just kind of bad mouthing that school and the teachers. So I turned around and I said, do you realize that our teachers are great everywhere? And here's the problems that that school is facing, the number of refugees coming in and, you know, kind of, kind of told them what was happening. And they looked at me and they said, are you on the school board? And I said, no. And they said, have you ever considered serving on the school board? And I said, no. And they said, well, you should. And I remember turning around thinking, That would be so great one day, you know, to serve on the school board. And so um, I just got really interested in in education and and trying to help others out that Mm -hmm. were like me, students like my daughter who think that they don't need to go, you know, just kind of being interested in that. And you did get elected to serve on the school board. I did. I actually didn't get elected the first time. So I, I, yes, I was appointed. I took Janie Rivas's place for the first year. And then the next year I had to, I had to run and and did run and, and got elected. What were the years that you served? Oh my goodness. Probably till 2011. And then, okay. So 2005. Right. 2006. And how old were you when you got your degree? 40. 40, okay. 40. It that, took I mean, me a long time. That's an so interesting the, story in itself, though. So I mean. the other thing, so I feel like it took me 10 years to get my associate's degree. And because just, you know, some years maybe I didn't even take a class. But then one day I got it in the mail. I got my associate's degree in the mail, just kind of like, you know, with my electric bill. Wow. And I opened it up and I was like, oh, I have a degree. And Jason, you don't even understand what that meant to me. Like all the years that I was going to school, I knew I was going to school, but it just didn't, I don't know why it just didn't register that I'm actually working towards something Mm -hmm. until I saw it. I saw it and I started crying and I was thinking, this isn't good enough. I need to get my bachelor's. So immediately I went to apply at Wayland and I finished in a year and a half and, and not because I'm super smart, but the way their classes are. They did some eight-week classes and all nighttime. And what I loved about Wayland is it was people that looked just like me. They're all mostly adults, mostly coming from Pantex, but we became family and, and I'm friends with still a lot of people that are that were in my classes. Give me a sense of the timeline. Did, did you finish your college degree while you were, was it close to when you served on the school board? Yes. Was it during it was. that period? It was during or? that period, actually. Okay. And and, you know, I, I think that's really interesting because the way you talk about it, it sounds like 
receiving that associate's degree and your bachelor's like gave you a sense of validation. I have, mm-hmm. I have done something important. Yeah. And yet you already had a good job right. and you had been elected to a community leadership position on mm-hmm. the school board. What did that education mean to you? Um, cause it, it doesn't seem like it was, I need to get this so I can get the next job or I need to get this so that I can find success. You'd already found that success. Mm-hmm. So what did it mean to you? To- it just, Golly, it meant, okay, so let me go back to my days of high school, middle school, elementary school. I was not a good student. I just, you know, my parents, I'm not saying it's their fault, but they just didn't push it. It was not a priority. I could do homework. I couldn't do homework. I mean, and I've told this story a lot. You know, if I brought home an F, which I don't really think I did, but if I did, they would have thought that it meant fine. You know, she's doing fine. And not that they didn't care. That just wasn't something that they had done. I think that my... Like, did they go to school? No, my dad went to school until sixth grade. And then my mom, I think it was second. So they both knew how to read and write. But But it just wasn't mm -mm, It just wasn't, no. And so I think that it was validation that, wow, I never thought of myself as smart or can do anything. Because going through school, I knew I didn't make the best grades. In fact, I think in middle school in Dimmit, a 60 was passing still. It was a D, but it was still passing. And like now it's 70s. And so, you know, my grades weren't that great. In fact, my grandson found one of my report cards. He goes, Grandma, you have all C's. You're a C student. And I said, I, I was. And so going to college, it was hard. You know, I had been away from high school. And in fact, I had to take uh, business math, which I didn't know what business math was. All I knew is there were symbols and letters and things. Whenever I was in high school, we only had to take Introduction to Algebra One. But you'd been a bookkeeper. Like yeah, you had done know, business math. I know. You know. I didn't realize. I didn't put it all together. <laughs> I had never taken economics. I, wow, it was a lot. So what it meant for me was I never thought I was smart but I did it. Okay. And do you know, that's what, whenever I see our scholarship recipients or the students that we talk to and touch, that's what I try to tell them. You know, it's hard. It's so hard going through school and the challenges that you face, but you're smarter than you think you are. And what I, what I hope is that people look at these kids, they, everybody wants to learn, everybody wants to do good, but they just need a little bit of encouragement. I know if I was in school, if I would have gotten one teacher to just, you know, notice me, Mm -hmm. I think that that would have made a difference, you know, because I had inside my own head, well, I'm just not a good student. It's just that external validation. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so going through this, I thought, wow, I passed business math. Well, I don't know if I passed it or if the instructor (laughs) was just ready for me to go because I was in her office every week trying to get some extra, you know, tutoring. Well, so I I wanted to to make the transition to talk about Los Barrios and De Amarillo. And and you kind of did that for me. But like, it's a... An organization you've been very involved with. Uh, you're currently the president, and uh, and it has that educational component. So tell me, you know, a lot of people probably have heard that name, but unless they've had a, a son or daughter that benefited from it, may not really know what it is. So, so yeah. tell me what the organization. Well, I'd like does. to start off by the the history. So it started in '71 when Bob Ashworth, who was superintendent of AISD in '71, noticed that there was a decline in the Caprock High School senior male Hispanic student graduating. And so he called uh, Reverend Jacinto Alderete, who was the executive director of Wesley, and said, hey, we have this problem. Kids aren't finishing school. You know, the Hispanic male's not finishing school. They're quitting and they're going to work. Well, fast forward 51 years later, that's kind of still happening. Mm -hmm. Not as bad, I hope. But anyways, that's how it started. I learned about it in the 80s when I was asked to be a speaker at this college and career fair called Step Up to Success. And I I didn't really know what I was signing up for. I was just like, sure. Because at that point, I was in marketing. I was used to talking to people and, and had gotten used to public speaking. And so I said, sure. So I arrived at Caprock High School. It was still just Caprock. It was in the auditorium. I was on stage with four gentlemen that were in suits. Mm -hmm. And they, one by one, started talking about the importance of getting a college education. And I thought, oh, I didn't realize I had to talk about why I got a college education. I don't have a college education. So one by one, 
they're telling their stories. I'm kind of flipping out thinking, okay, do I lie or do I tell the truth? And so when it got to me, I told the truth. I said, you know, I don't have a college education. And what I can tell you is that I've had to work twice as hard, maybe three times as hard as a lot of people just to get where I am. And I'm still not where I want to be. And um, I can tell you that as you're out of school, you start forgetting things. I always was like a spelling bee champ. And you kind of forget to how to spell words when you're not doing it all the time. And so I said, you guys really need to go. I'm going to go back. And I really didn't even have plans. But I wanted to tell them, I want you to go. You know, I'm going to go back. I know how important this is. So I want, want you to go. So that's what, you know, even before my daughter saying that when she was in middle school, I had started thinking, maybe I should do something. And I bet know? those students remembered what you said and I not hope what so. those guys in the suits said. Like it's I hope so. that kind of authenticity or, or something that's a little bit surprising to them. Yeah. Not the usual line <laughs> right. from speakers. Right. <laughs> uh, that's the kind of stuff that sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it does. I hope it does. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying is, is I hope that people take more of an interest and just, you know, look at a kid and just think, I don't know what's going on Mm -hmm. and maybe nothing is, but maybe he just needs an extra hand up, you know, extra word of encouragement or, you know, validation that he did something right or she did something great, you know. So give me a snapshot then of what Los Barrios does today. So that was my first experience was being a speaker, and then I wasn't involved. And then a few years later, I was asked to be a speaker again, and this is when it had changed, and it encompassed not just AISD, but all of the regions, so Region 16-wide, including homeschools, parochial schools, you know, um, including everybody. Uh, We do it twice a year, once in the spring for middle school and once in the fall for high school. And I was a speaker, and I always talked about marketing and graphic design, and that That was my role until probably five or six years ago, they called and said, hey, Mary, would you chair the event? And I said, sure, I'll chair the event. I love events. I love event planning. I had no idea because I was just a speaker in my little classroom with my little set of students, how big this thing was. And I'm so glad that they asked me to chair it because that's really when I began to think, you know what, we need to make this better. We need to make it bigger. We need to make a bigger difference. We need to be more strategic. Not that it was wrong before, but you know, you just, as you grow, you need to be more strategic and Mm -hmm. and really reach today's students. And so um, I started chairing and I just... You know, I just can't even imagine. People think that I work for Los Barrios. We don't have an executive director. I'm just the president, but I, and I'm on other boards, but nobody knows about (laughs) all those. But um, I just love that we are touching students and so many. You know that you're making a difference when TextLine and Booker, these faraway schools are coming to your event. You know, they find value in it to get their students up at six o'clock in the morning to travel. This year, um, for our fall in November, it's going to be at WT. And so... That's another collaborative thing that came out of this. We've never had it at a college before. And so this is big for us. Workforce Solutions said, hey, we always have a career fair for students, Mm -hmm. but it's just exhibitor booths. We like what you're doing. How can we join forces? I mean, that is amazing that we all have like minds to how can we better help students? And in addition to the exposure they get through the career fairs and the different businesses that come like there's also a scholarship component there's also a scholarship component we used to make it to where they could only apply for the scholarship if they've come to step up um, now called epic but um, we decided we can't do that because there are a lot of kids that don't get to come Um, we're at the mercy of the counselors and ccmr coordinators on who they choose to come and so we felt like we're missing out on a lot of students and so now anybody is welcome to apply for our scholarships. They are $1,000 for each year for up to four years in the colleges around our area. We really want to focus on, you know, those things that that there's jobs here in the panhandle. We want the Mm -hmm. kids to really stay here. We know that even if they lived in Hereford, they probably will move to Amarillo because especially if they're Hispanic, because, you know, Hispanic families are close. and, And so Amarillo's 
far enough away that they're not right there, but close enough for Sunday dinner. Yeah, yeah. And so it's opened up to everybody. And I love to reach out to our scholarship recipients. I found that we just text. Um, That's what they're more comfortable with. They don't like to use the telephone. Mm -hmm. They don't respond to emails. But they finally learned to text me back, <laughs> even if they like what I said. Like I said, Happy Halloween, and, yeah. and there's all these likes and hearts, and I'm like, okay, they're reading it still. <laughs> so this this year in October, you were honored with the Hispanic Woman of the Year Award at the Hispanic Heritage Heritage. Nation. Yeah, what's the official name? The, yes. At the banquet. Yes. Um, you, you talked about the education providing a sense of validation for what you had done. Like, is, is there similar feelings with that award for you? You know, there is. Is because I help with so many different things, and I love to volunteer. That's that's my full time gig now. Is is I volunteer, especially when it comes to students. Um, but I, I just love being involved. I love I'm on the board for leadership, Amarline Canyon. Love the teen class. Like to be mm-hmm. around them and. I see the, you know, how some of our teens also go into epic success. And, you know, I see that crossover. And anyways, you don't think about whenever you're involved in all these things, uh, you don't sit back and think, golly, I sure help a lot. You just do it because... It's your passion. You know, a long time ago, whenever I worked at the hospitals, I wanted to be on every board because I wanted to be somebody. But then you learn kind of quickly that you're not good if you're spread too thin. So you have to find your passion. And luckily, I was able to find my passion. So I help with those organizations. And, you know, I you don't notice yourself. And so whenever I got noticed, yeah, it was like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> whenever I was nominated, it's funny because the nominator writes in what they've done. And I still focused on Los Barrios, but the judges knew what I had That done wasn't the extent of <laughs> yeah. what you did. They said, you know, you probably should have written more about other things. <laughs> I, I want to close by asking you this. One of the interesting things you've said to me in the past uh, was that, you know, you, you are involved with Los Barrios. You were Hispanic Woman of the Year, but you didn't really start digging into or embracing that Hispanic heritage until you're an adult. Yeah. Uh, it almost like an intentional decision that you made. And I, I'm somebody outside that culture, and, and that intrigues me. I wanted to hear you talk more about that. So my dad is white, and my mom is Hispanic, and so I've always been around both cultures very different. You go to my dad's side of the family, eat with a knife and fork. You go to my mom's side of the family, there is no knife and mm-hmm. fork, you know. And and But I think that the reason that I didn't embrace it, it, again, it all comes back to me and how I felt, is whenever I was young, uh, living in Dimmit, and I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I felt like, you know, white people just were smarter and had better stuff. And, and right, I, that's a, that's a cultural stereotype that has persisted for yeah, decades. Yeah. And, and, so, and there were whites that were poor too, but I just thought, gosh, I, I want not to be white, but I, I want to, to one day have stuff. You know, I, I mentioned being a little bit embarrassed about clothes and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's hard whenever you're growing up and I had to turn my shoes <laughs> over because I didn't have soles, you know, they had, brought it out and my dad had cut cardboard and put them in there and believe it or not cardboard's very comfortable they were so comfortable but i turned them over in gym class because i didn't want people right, to, see, to that. see that that was in there. and so i just wanted to be this and I, I don't know i felt like i hispanics were looked down on maybe that was just me and my young you know, age feeling Did you speak that. Spanish at home? Um, not, no, not conversational. Okay. <laughs> My mom did speak it, but when she was angry. <laughs> but, <laughs> anyways, and so, yeah, I didn't really embrace it. And then my mom passed whenever I was 16. And for some odd reason, I don't really know what happened, but like we kind of lost touch with that side of the family. And it wasn't until years later, I mean, it was a long time later that uh, one of my relatives reached from Dimmit said, Hey, let's go. Dallas for Thanksgiving. And I was like, I haven't been around the family in so long. I'm going to feel, you know, they don't 
remember me? And they're like, of course they do, Mary, just come. And that's whenever I really got back into the Hispanic side of the family and loving it because first of all, the food, of Mm -hmm. course, but just the family, you know, everybody always gets together every Sunday. There is a, or was a Sunday barbecue at three o'clock, you know, and so I, I traveled to Dallas quite a bit to, to be with them and, you know, just loving what it meant to be Hispanic. But yeah, it did take me a, a long time. And, and again, I think it was just my own thing wanting to be, I hate to say better, but in my mind, that's kind of what it was. I wanted to be, you know, have things and, and be somebody, I guess. But in a place like Amarillo, it connects you to a really strong heritage. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something that uh, we've been hearing more and more about is the efforts in the barrio yes. to, um, you know, to really uplift that neighborhood with the different organizations. Yes. And and you're a part of all those things. I love being a part of the BNPC because um, the, ex- or the president for that organization is amazing. She's a trailblazer. She leads all these great efforts and gets them done. I mean, Teresa Kennedy, yes, uh, previous podcast Teresa, guest. Oh yeah. Yeah. Teresa Kennedy. She's just amazing. I, I always tell her, I said, you're kind of like my mentor really, because I see you doing things. You know, I help with graphic design and, and some different things when she needs it, but Really, I mean, who can get an army to clean up yeah. Bowie Middle School? You know, who can get and get food for them and water and giveaways? And and I don't love it because of that. I love it because people are coming into the barrio. They're actually being active. They're learning about what the barrio has to offer, that, you know, we're all just people and they're learning about new businesses and restaurants, and and I hope that they, you know, will come not just to clean on uh, every three months, but at, mm-hmm. to actually shop and eat there. You know, it's I just love seeing new people come into the barrio, and so I love that even the city, you know, it's part of the city plan to make it a right. safer neighborhood. So there's street lights because we tend to stay in our own, you know, little radius of our homes. We don't realize that there's not street lights on all of the streets. It's true. Sidewalks. Sidewalks, this, yeah. yeah, and sidewalks. And so the sidewalks, you know, buckle up and, and they're not easy to travel on if you're in a wheelchair or on a bicycle, you know, kids. It's it's just so very different. And so, yeah, I love being over there and being part of that whole, you know, revitalization thing and and getting to meet more people. I'm meeting more people, you know, on from all sides of town. Um, I think that the people in the barrio really appreciate people coming in, you know, with Hispanics. It's all about trust. And so they're starting to learn other businesses that are coming in to help. And, and, you know, that's only going to help that business, too. And so I just think that we're all becoming more unified. For the last few weeks of the year, Hey Amarillo is highlighting a local nonprofit thanks to the sponsorship of SKP Creative. This week's nonprofit is the High Plains Food Bank, which provides aid to the top 29 counties in the Texas Panhandle, working with nearly 200 different agencies, from churches to soup kitchens to shelters. This week is the food bank's annual Together We Can Holiday Food and Fun Drive through December 9th in the Market Street parking lot. For every dollar donated, the food bank can provide four meals of food. When I want to give to a local organization that offers the most charitable bang for my buck, I almost always end up choosing High Plains Food Bank. So you can make your own donations at any area United store this week or visit hpfb.org. Thanks again to SKP Creative for highlighting the High Plains Food Bank. This episode of Hey Amarillo is also supported by Jimmy John's Gourmet Sandwiches, which has three locations in Amarillo, and all of them are owned and operated by Amarillo resident Charles D'Amico, who has been a former guest on this podcast. Charles wants you to know Jimmy John's still has a combination meal, the Little John Combo, which can feed you for under $6. Thanks to the locally owned Jimmy John's for sponsoring the show. Okay, I'm back with Mary Brawley. Mary, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. 
Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and one of its current special exhibits is called Quinceañera Traditions. I know that uh, you're very familiar with that one. Um, it's about the historic and symbolic pageantry that makes a 15-year-old's journey into womanhood in Hispanic culture. Did you have a quince? No. See, I, didn't. I wasn't sure if no. growing we, up with a white dad. Yeah, and, no, we never talked about it, but even if we would have, we didn't have money. Do you do you see that exhibit and think, oh man, I, I love that? Yes, those dresses. Are yes, amazing. and I wished I I had three grandsons. Wished I had a granddaughter. Yeah. I would totally go all out. <laughs> totally worth seeing because there's there's so many interesting. It's not just cool but, dresses. Like there's oh, the, so much about the learned, culture in there. Yeah, I was on that committee and I learned so much. Well, that exhibit is open through February of 2023. Uh, you can learn more at PanhandlePlains.org. Okay, the first question is: When you think of Amarillo ten years from now, what do you hope for? What I hope for is, you know, the AEDC is bringing in lots of great businesses. We keep having businesses come. I feel like we're growing in a good direction, but I hope that we grow, as I had kind of talked about before, in unity. We still are in our silos. We Mm -hmm. are still in our separated neighborhoods. We still need to go out beyond those and, um, you know, go to the next neighborhood. And and, um, we're all one community. People think about Amarillo in terms of parts of town, which... I think is maybe a drawback. Like you yes. shouldn't think, well, that's that's an east side thing or that's a absolutely, west side thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm guilty of that too. I, I was that way before. Whenever I sat on the school board, we would go visit different schools. And so whenever I went to visit Eastridge, I was I had never seen some of the stores along the way there. Yeah. And and it was very eye opening. And then being inside that school and seeing all these kids dressed in their cultural... 30 different languages spoken yes, there. Yes, yes. You know, I hope that as we grow economically, we also grow in unification. We all, you know, appreciate each other's strengths and, you know, help them with weaknesses. I just want us to be a better community for that. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Well, you know, I really appreciate our wind, and let me just tell you why. <laughs> I, I've traveled to other places, and there's no wind, and it's beautiful, right? The, the air is beautiful. Your hair doesn't get messed up. But there's smog and pollution, and I feel, I feel like our wind maybe nothing pushes it away. Here, nothing right? stays. Not so, even the litter. It just no, goes to Yeah, everything flies. And I like seeing tumbleweeds. I like seeing the tumbleweed races, you know, whenever they're going across the street. But I, I kind of, not always, but I kind of appreciate our wind. But uh, what was the question? What do we What do we have, have too much of? Too much of. You know, I would have to say naysayers. Uh, keyboard warriors, social media trolls. Mm -hmm. I say that because everybody has an opinion, but for the most part, people aren't getting involved to actually know the facts. So I never knew and, and still don't know how the city of Amarillo operates, but I went through Amarillo 101 and you get to learn a little bit about all of the departments. And so it helps you understand Mm -hmm. a little bit better about some of the decisions that are made or why things are happening. Did the same thing with the police academy and Randall County Sheriff's and Potter County Sheriff's Academy. I I just want people to be more involved because if you're going to say something, you really need to know about it before yeah. you can make a qualified I, statement. Yeah, have an opinion, but make sure it's an educated opinion. Yes, yes. Serving on the school board. Yeah. You know, I I thought that I knew everything, like I mentioned, but whenever you serve in that capacity, you really learn there's a lot of rules and regulations that, you know, we don't have local control over mm-hmm. sometimes. And decisions are made for reasons. Yeah. And sometimes they're not popular. That's but right. It's not just, well, I'm going to do something that's going to make the whole community right. mad. I'll decide this. Exactly. There's there's thought behind everything. Exactly. Okay, what does this area not have enough of? You know, I think that we don't have enough of things to do, especially for our our young adults. Okay. Whenever I was in Dimmit Muleshoe, you kind of dragged Main Street, or Muleshoe was American Boulevard, or going to Clovis, but... Really, there's not a lot to do. You can go to the movies. We all know about Paladero Canyon, but you know that's that's not just something that um, Paladero Canyon. You just don't go there all the time, you right. know. So I wish there was something more to do for our young adults. I think that they, you know, they're at an age where they want to be out, they want to have fun, but we want them to have fun in safe environments. So okay. um, something something more for them. 
How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Ah, I say that we're very nice. We'll always say hello or howdy or wave or something. We um, are very giving. I always think back to 2020 and and the campaign, the Panhandle Gives. Mm -hmm. You know, it had broken a record and it was during the pandemic. And that just shows that we give, that we, you know, think about these nonprofits and everything that nonprofits do to help people. And so I feel like we're a very generous people. And, and that's what I always, I'm just so pleased and, and love to, to tell everybody about that. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Well, I love my street where my house is on, but I also like downtown. I like Polk Street and Buchanan because mm-hmm. Hodgetown is there and Embassy Suites and it's, you know, starting to, there's lots of people that are just kind of walking around. And so I would have to say, I really kind of like being on Buchanan, you know, when things are going on, things yeah. are happening. Globe News Centers. Yes. There. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Well, I love to eat, <laughs> so I have a lot of favorites, but I think I like La Frontera and Cocina on the Go for the food truck okay. because they're asada fries. I That's all I get. I don't think I've ever tasted anything else. So, top of their order. So good. Top of the menu there. Yeah. So. I always uh, look for her food truck. I'm like, where is she at? <laughs> and, yeah, so it, I kind of stalk her. And it's an, e- well, it's an easy truck to see, yes, though. It's it bright is. yellow. Yes. Um, they're at yes. all, the, all the fun events. Yeah. So. And she she's another person that you know loves to help students and, yeah. and does great things. So I, I appreciate her for that. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I love coffee. So I go to all, almost all coffee shops, but I would have to say if I'm in a hurry and going through drive-through, Cliffside. Okay. Love their coffee and I love the the young adults that are working there. They're always nice. They always start a conversation. Just great customer service. But then Palace is my number one. <laughs> love Palace. I love the ambiance. I love that you can just sit there and have a group there. You know, there's mm-hmm. enough room for everybody and they're the only ones who make the golden chai tea latte. Okay. <laughs> that's a that's a good one. When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? I was there last summer, as a matter of fact, with my oldest and my youngest grandkid. They wanted to do some artwork, and so we got some spray can uh, paints and and went out there and had a great time and took good pictures. And it's funny how you know my oldest grandson is fifteen, so I'm talking about we need more for our young kids to do. But that was so much fun for him. Yeah. <laughs> To go do some artwork. Okay, so that concludes my eight straight questions. Uh, Mary, I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? Well, you know, I uh, of course I want them to know about Los Barrios, but really, specifically, please get involved in mentoring. Again, it takes one person to make a difference in one kid's life. We always want to reach the masses, Mm -hmm. but if you just reach one student, you can help them out tremendously. Then that student will help out, you know, whenever they're older, they'll be able to help out. And so if you ever want to mentor or get together with students, college students, please let me know. It's just just so important that we're there for our young adults and encourage them to do well and whatever they choose to do, whether it's a degree or a certification, we just need to be there to help them up. Okay. Mary Brawley, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Mary for the interview. You can find out more about Los Barrios de Amarillo at losbarriosdeamarillo.org. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode. And you know what? If you like this show, please consider rating and reviewing it wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's a pretty easy step to do. It doesn't take long, and it helps other people find the show. also want to say thanks to sponsors Discover Amarillo, to Blue Handle Publishing, SKP Creative, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. Hey, Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you, so thank you. I appreciate it and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 277. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.